0: I discovered long ago that if you don't really have time to prepare anything, it's always good to go with the top ten list. So I didn't really have time to prepare a ten minute I left this year, so I decided to go with the top ten list of top ten kashros misconceptions that people have. So I'll try to spend a minute on each of the top ten kashros misconceptions that people have. Kashros misconception number one, this is not in any particular order, and there may be many, many more kashros misconcep- misconceptions. These are the ones that I find people... Uh, frequently have and that, uh, that came to mind when I started to think about it. Number one, a lot of people believe that everything in Starbucks is kosher. That is, uh, that every drink in Starbucks is kosher. That is most definitely not the case. Their plain coffee is kosher everywhere pretty much, even though the CRC had a whole mahalich to try to say that in Starbucks because of the way they wash their dishes. Maybe even plain coffee would be a problem, but generally speaking most posts would assume plain coffee is fine everywhere. Coffee uh, in a coffee house with kosher flavoring is fine as well. You just have to make sure that the flavoring is in fact kosher. But when you get into fancier drinks, frappuccinos and the like, so you need to be very careful to make sure that you know that the ingredients are in fact kosher. Certainly, the uh, the pastries and the ham sandwiches and things like that are not kosher in Starbucks. Uh, there is a fantastic website called kosherstarbucks.com and they have a whole list of every possible combination of the 35,000 types of drinks that you could perhaps order at Starbucks and they tell you how to uh, make sure that it's uh, that it's kosher um, and which, which ones are and are not recommended. So you should always check that out. So that is Kasha's misconception number one. Unfortunately, a lot of people will just go into Starbucks and order whatever type of drink they feel like ordering and assume that it's kosher and that is, uh, that is most certainly not the case. A second common misconception is that I, I, people assume that their housekeepers are allowed to cook them dinner. Um, if your housekeepers is Jewish, she may cook you dinner. But if your housekeeper is not Jewish, there's an Isra in the, there's an Isra in the gmarum, in the Gemara in of Adazara that's uh, a Akum. The Isra of Akum, it's shonim, whether it applies even Bebeisosh Hashal Yisrael, even in the Jews' home. But we Pasken, at least the Chadchila, and probably even the that in a Jew's home, there is still a problem of Bishol Akum. So even if the housekeeper is in your house, it is a problem of Bishol Akum. Now, a lot of times people will set up a situation in their house where, like, the seven year old who happens to be home will turn on the, uh, the fire for the, for the housekeeper so the housekeeper can then cook. That is probably unwise to train the seven year old to be turning on fires. Um, and it may be somewhat halachically, uh, at least questionable, at least it's a good topic for a discussion, whether a seven year old has now to say that they, in fact, did turn on the fire, meaning how much naamanos does a katan have? Certainly for mitzvahs rice, a katan would not have naamanos. For the rabanans, probably yes, but uh, still, it's, uh, it's, a, it's at least something to to consider before one sets up that kind of situation. A third kasvah's misconception is that a lot of times people see terms like Beit Yosef Beit Yosef Shchita, or they'll see terms like Glat and they completely misunderstand what it means I remember there was a fruit store in the in the five towns that, uh, that, that advertise that its fruit is glot kosher. Uh, the fruit cannot be glot kosher unless it grew legs and lungs and, uh, and, and uh, breathed and walked. Fruit cannot be glot kosher. What does glot mean? Glat means that there are no adhesions on the lungs. So uh, fruit, meat can be kosher without being glat kosher, although the major kosher certifying agencies in America now Generally, do not give Hashkacha to non glot meat. And Beit Yosef is another thing. A lot of people think, a lot of Ashkenazim assume, can't have Beit Yosef meat because it's a lower standard. Beit Yosef is actually a higher standard of uh, kashras if there are small uh, adhesions on the on the lungs so for Ashkenazim the Ramah writes that if it's two or or fewer and they're easily removed you can peel them off and it's still glott and it's still perfectly fine Uh, even by the glott standard whereas Beit Yosef uh, the Mechaber holds that no that it wouldn't be unless it's perfectly smooth and perfectly clean. You can't uh, you can't you can't peel off any adhesions. That would not not even meet the standards. Uh, that would not meet the standards of glott according to Beit Yosef. I remember uh, years ago there was a a uh, place that was selling meat and one of the and and there was some customer complaints that the that, that the kashos organization that was certifying had to deal with and one of the customer complaints was uh... was that they went that a swati customer came in and said i need bait you safe yeah. and the proprietor of the store said yeah yeah don't told the Mashkiach, told the and the, told the employees if anyone asks you for bait you safe just tell them all our stuff is Beit you safe it's fine just just let them know that it's all that it's all bait you safe and it wasn't obviously um, so that was a, a major concern. And we were talking about the issue. And one of the Sephardic Rabbanim in the neighborhood said that he remembers years ago, his uh, wife used to go to a butcher shop in Muncie, and she used to ask for Beit Yosef. And the guy said the same thing. Yeah, don't worry, it's all Beit Yosef. And in turn, and, she, and, and uh, he went into the store, and he checked, and he saw that it wasn't Beit Yosef. And he saw that, that she was being lied to. So he said, he told his wife, you can never, ever go into that store again. And it turned out that was the store that, uh, that they discovered that he was selling the tray for chickens and everything else. So it all starts with Beit Yosef, and then after that, you know, they're, they're lying about Beit Yosef, and after that, you know, you never know where it's going to go from there. A uh, fourth common Kasha's misconception, is that before Pesach, people are always careful to make sure their meat is Kasha Pesach. So they're willing to pay a very high premium for Kasha Pesach meat, as opposed to regular meat, which uh, the misconception, the the reality is the regular meat is also Kasha Pesach, unless it's pickled or spiced or whatever, unless they add anything to the meat. But typically speaking, meat from an animal is... So if they're just selling raw meat, I always tell my balabatim right after Purim buy your meat for Pesach because it's before they and then freeze it. It's before they mark up the prices. It's before they double the prices. So you could still get it. It's still going to be kashal Pesach. It's perfectly perfectly fine. A fifth kosher was misconception, a very common one, is that people believe that if you have a a utensil that becomes not kosher, that becomes treif. So what do you do? So, you know this misconception. I guess not such a misconception. That people stick it in the ground. You put it in the ground, you leave it in your backyard in the ground, and then you take it out the next morning, and everything's kosher, everything's good again. You haven't heard this one? I guess this misconception has been dispelled, so we don't have to do it. The idea of sticking something in the ground does come up in Hilchus Kasher. If you have a knife that was used for cold, non-kosher, for something that was cold. Some, with heat, we assume that the the tam penetrates throughout the knife. But if it was something that was cold, we're just worried about the the fat of the uh, of the food being stuck to the knife. So we need something rough to sort of uh, clean it off of the knife. So they said, you go in karkakasha, you go in hard ground, and you stab it into the ground, and that cleans off the knife. Nowadays, we wouldn't use ground. We would use a brillo pad or the back of a sponge or something like that. Something that's hard, that would be able to clean it off really well. But that that doesn't work when your your kalim become trafed up. It only works if your kalim were used. If your knife was used on a cold, uh, you know, meat knife used on cold dairy, dairy knife used on cold meat, something like that. Um, another common cautious misconception. Number we have two, six. So uh, a lot of times people look for hashkachos and they see that there is a hashkacha from the Admor, me whatever, and they assume, oh, that's got to be better than the uh, OU and the Chavkei and whatever because it's from a very it's it's in Yiddish, so it's got it's, it's got to be much much better. It's got to be frumer, and uh, the truth is sometimes it is. Sometimes the high hashkachos have a lot of chumras that they put into place and a lot of uh, and a lot of higher standards that they'll put into place that are that are beyond the normal standards that we would normally expect of the national cautious organizations, but very often it's not. Very often, uh, first of all, a lot of the Haimashash Gachos rely on the larger cautious organizations. Uh, I remember when I was uh, at the OU, for a uh, kashrut seminar, a three-week kashrut seminar, so uh, they took us to one of these Heimish Soda companies. I don't remember whether it was Chaim, or one of these kashrus, one of these, kasher, one of these uh, um, you know, the, the Shalashuda sodas. You know, you know what I'm saying, right? So they took us to one of these places, and the proprietor, the owner of the company, was a uh, was a yid, and the guy from the OU said. Tell, tell the chevri here what you think of the of the OU. He said I hate the OU. And he said why? He said because the i Hashkacha comes in and says I know you're a from guy. I know I could trust you, and he doesn't check up and everything, and he's not looking for all the for all the flavors and seeing what's kosher, what's not. He knows that he can trust me. He's always checking. They're always looking for this, looking for that. A lot of times, I'm Hashkacha. Um, and why does I have not check? Not because they're dishonest, but because they know the OU is doing it. So why would they? Why would they bother? Or they know that uh, you know a national organization is taking care of it anyway. So, but a lot of times they just don't have the manpower. They don't have. Uh, Ravelsky once once pointed out that uh, that one of the the great things about working in a big company is that when you give a psak, when you give a policy, you have a hundred other rabbis that are gonna question that policy and say, wait, why is it this way? Why is that? Are you sure that this that, that the Methodist works that way? There will always be questioning. If you're just a one man show and you're just giving that shkach wherever you want, so you could be you could be very honest and you could be a big Tamil chacham, but if you don't have people questioning you, it's the Mitalmida yosermikulam. You know, if you don't if you never challenged, it's very difficult for a person to really uh, to really be on top of everything. Also, there very often needs to be a level of, of expertise that in order to uh, in order to in, in order to be able to do uh, proper ashkacha. You have to know the business, you have to know uh, how things work, and uh, a lot of times that involves a great deal of research. A lot of times a person has to know what types of chemicals do what in uh, in modern food processing, things like that. So uh, that is another common cautious misconception. A lot of times people think, oh, I know that rabbi, he's a nice guy, so if he's a nice guy, uh, it must be that his is good. A lot of times he could be a nice guy and he doesn't realize his own limits, or he doesn't realize how many different things can be happening right underneath his nose, and he wouldn't even notice it. So uh, that's why it's important to know someone who's involved in kashrus who will know whether the policies in place and whether the oversight in place is good enough. Another very common kashrus misconception um, revolves around, uh, let's say, things like Oreo cookies. Oreo cookies, we know, say OUD on the package, and everyone knows that even though it says OUD, since the OU has a policy that they don't write DE, either, even on things that are DE, they'll just write D, so everyone knows Oreo cookies are really uh, parve; They're not really dairy. However, what people don't realize is the reason it's DE the reason it's even dairy equipment is because there are some Oreos that are dairy. Otherwise the equipment wouldn't be dairy. So like the chocolate stuffed Oreos, the peanut butter stuffed Oreos. Any Oreo that's not a typical Oreo, or the, or the double stuff is fine also. But anything that's not the typical Oreo is gonna be a is gonna be dairy. And that's why the regular Oreos say DE. So it's very important to check the ingredients on things that you assume are DE, because once the OU puts a D on the package they have every right to put milk in there. And you can't say, how could they put milk in there? I thought it was Bariv. They put a D on the package. They have every right to put milk in there. So it's important to, uh, to check the ingredients. Hagen Sorbet is another one that's really, it says OUD, but it's not dairy. It's, uh, it's dairy equipment. So, but again, these things could change at any moment. It's important to, to, on those items that you have the information that they're DE to, uh, to check the ingredients. Another common cautious misconception is people think that when you get new dishes, uh, like china dishes that you need to tovel them. So it's not an, an entirely, uh, it's not a, a total misconception because there are some posts that hold that way that because of the glaze on the clay di- charis don't require tevila. China's Klechere, so it doesn't require Tevila. But because there's a glaze over it, that's why it's so smooth, with a, it has a, a glass layer. So many postkim do hold that it requires Tevila, but many others hold that it does not require Tevila. So ask your local Orthodox rabbi. I certainly don't assume. Uh, rabbi Tenler, I know, is very, uh, very strongly, uh, he holds everything he holds, he holds very strongly, but he holds uh, very strongly that uh, china dishes do not require tvila and he used to say that, um, that always during Shevar the chassan takes all of the dishes that they just got and he brings them to the mikveh to show off to his wife that he's such an ama'aretz that he should have passed the shidduch me'ikaro because he's such an Amaretz by toveling the dishes doesn't think that, uh, that it requires tvila. okay, another common Kamrakash's misconception is a lot of times people think and this is still very much out there that you can use a kli one time before toveling There is no such alakha doesn't exist, it does, it's, not, it's not anywhere. Where does it come from, this misconception? Well, there are postcards that hold that, a mo- most post hold that a disposable utensil, something that you would only use once, doesn't require tevila, or that packaging, let's say, let's say a jar of mayonnaise used to come, now it comes in plastic, used to come in glass, or a pickle jar comes in a glass jar, that you don't need to empty out the pickles, tovel it, and then put the pickles back in. You can use it that one time because it's packaging, but that does not mean that a clee that you plan on using multiple times can be used once without toveling. That is not the case. That is most certainly not true. And therefore, if someone, let's say, buys you a candy dish from the local... Uh from the local store, from the local uh, candy store, and it's a glass dish, so you're not even allowed to use it if, if it's a kind of dish that you're going to be using over and over again, and the candies are just there because they don't want to give you a dish without candies in it, so you, you, uh, you would have to empty it, tovel it, and then put the candies back in. You're not even allowed to use it uh, one time. Another common misconception, and this one we'll conclude with, is that uh, people think dishwashing soap and spring water need hashkacha. Just because something has hashkacha does not mean it needs hashkacha. Typically, what a cashless organization will do is someone will call them up and will say, we want to get hashkacha on our dishwashing soap. And the cashless organization will say, you know, you don't need hashkacha on your dishwashing soap. They say, yeah, but we want it anyway because we think the customers believe that it's a seal of quality and therefore we want it. Okay? You want it. We're not going to tell you no. We'll be happy to give it to you. It's the easiest hashkacha they ever have to give. You know, they'll send them hashkacha there once a month, look around yeah, it's still soap. Okay? so And they'll, uh, they'll give the hashkacha. But uh, but it's not something that requires hashkacha, neither dishwashing soap because it's inedible, or spring water because it's water uh, requires, uh, requires hashkacha. There have been stories once in a blue moon told about water that was processed on equipment that may have processed oranges from Eretz Yisrael or whatever, you know, for, for oranges. But well, those are very, very rare situations. And in general, we do not have to be choshesh for, uh, for those types of things. So those are my top 10 cautious misconceptions.